French philosopher, Rene Descartes, once said that if you're going to be a real seeker after truth, then you have to wrestle with doubt. You know, doubt is one of those words that, depending on where you are, can invoke a lot of different feelings and emotions. It can be a word of power. Doubt can be a dirty little word. But I think we all look at our lives and we, we know that doubt has played a role. You know, you think about leaving the house and you wonder, did I turn that burner off the stove? Makes you run back inside and make sure the house is safe. Before that test or big presentation, you have a little doubt with your, whether you're ready or not. So you study your notes and you kill it. I think there's a lot of different ways that, that doubt leads into your life. I remember we went to Israel last year, and the night before, I'm frantically looking for my passport. Guess where it was? It's in my bag, right? But I doubt it. You guys been there? You got to make sure it's there. But, you know, maybe the most powerful way that doubt plays a role in your life is investigating and questioning the things that you hear and see. Some of you guys who maybe noticed, if you're looking at the news, that there was a... Uh, a UFO hearing that happened at the, in Mexico, in Mexico City, at uh, the Mexican Congress a few weeks ago, earlier in September. And here, here's a picture of the, the findings of the, uh, of the UFO hearing. And there was a UFO enthusiast that claimed he found um, a, a, an extraterrestrial individual uh, in 2017 in Peru. And so you see this, and it looks awfully a lot like E.T., doesn't it? But, you know, you, you come across these things all the time, and you wonder, like, how do I know if this is true or not? Is it a hoax? Is this real? Because if it is, it's got a domino effect in our world. And I just think there's a lot of different things in life that we're, we're peppered with. We're peppered with news articles. We're peppered with stories. We're peppered with theories. We're peppered with old wives' tales. You know, I was always told an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And eating carrots improves your eye health that cracking your knuckles gives you arthritis, that chewing gum stays in your stomach for how many years? Seven. <laughs> it's the perfect number, isn't it? But how do you know that any of this is true? And see, therein lies the power of doubt if you use it the right way. Doubt can be really powerful because it can lead you to seeking what's true. Now, you often don't know on your own how to do that. You have to investigate by seeking the credible sources, by talking to people who know, by having deeper conversations and, and studies. But as you do, you begin to realize what's true and what's not. I mean, as you study, you realize that an apple a day really is good for you, that eating carrots are actually good for your eyes. Thankfully, cracking your knuckles does not lead to arthritis, and chewing gum doesn't stay in your stomach for seven years, although it's not good for you. And then when you look at the individual that was presented in Mexico City, most agree that it was uh, similar to the findings they had before in Peru of mummified children, thankfully. I was worried. It was E.T. Right? But as we investigate, as we look into these things, we can have our ideas strengthened because we have done the right the right searching. But yet at the same time, doubt can be a dangerous thing. And the reason I say that is doubt can be dangerous when it comes to our closely held beliefs when we are not intellectually careful. Or maybe another way to say it is when we are intellectually lazy. 
You know, you know I, I think as we think about our lives, especially our closely held beliefs, so much of what we believe has been formed and built over the course of our lives. Russian author Anton Chekhov once says that a man is what he believes. And so you look back at your life and you see the things that you were taught. You see the things that you learned in school or from your parents or in church. You have these things you've learned from just looking at the world and an understanding in your workplace and all of these different influences. And you start to build, you start to really construct this idea of what is true and what is not in your mind. And then something happens. Then we run into a, a situation in life where maybe our, we're intellectually challenged. You, you go to college and you're, you're faced with things you never heard before, you never thought before, people you never met before. Or, or maybe you go through a, a season of suffering where you're just trying to make sense of what's going on and it has shaken your foundation. You, you've been praying the same thing for a long time and God hasn't answered those prayers. And you're wondering, God, what, what's What's happening? Where are we at? And, and, what, and what happens often is doubt comes, and doubt is natural, and doubt can be powerful, but doubt can also be dangerous. It can be like a house of cards. Because if your beliefs are built on what somebody else told you, if your beliefs are built on what you've heard others say or what culture believes, and, and then all of a sudden something gets challenged, it's like pulling that bottom card off the house. What happens? It all comes tumbling down. And this is why it is important for us to be able to really spend the time understanding what we believe and why we believe it. And this is so important when it comes to faith. Because I think a lot of people, they grow up with these ideas of faith, these ideas of God. And some of them, they were built and growing up in church or going to a summer camp or vacation Bible school. Others, we have ideas built from our parents and, or from the school we went to or from our, our friends. And whether you're a believer or not, you have these ideas we all do. And then we have to, to something that happens in our life that begins to challenge them. And then we, we have doubt into our lives, but we just don't know what to do with doubt. And it feels like, again, this, this really difficult thing. And we don't want to bring it into church with us. We don't want to admit we're struggling. We don't want to admit that we have these questions because it feels wrong. And so yet our doubt simmers and our doubt bubbles and then our doubt spills over. And we don't know what to do with it or how to handle it. And some of you know this. Some of you are in it right now. Some of you have walked through seasons of doubt where you're just trying to figure out, God, what do you mean? What do you say? Are you real? And you guys know how tough that can be. But I think there's a realization that it's, it's okay to recognize that doubt is a natural response to the fact that we do live in this broken world where our relationship with God has been, been separated because of sin and doubt now exists. So how do we use doubt to the best ability? How do we use doubt as something powerful to help us seek truth rather than something dangerous? So one of the things we are going to look at in, in this study of John chapter 1 is the exchange that Jesus has today with a, a guy named Nathaniel. We've been for the last few weeks camped out in Jesus' kind of first interaction with a group of people that would become his disciples and he has these interactions with guys like Andrew and, and Peter and, and Philip. And then today we're going to see he meets a man named Nathaniel. And Nathaniel wrestles with doubt. And we see something beautiful where Jesus and, and, and Philip initially invites Nathaniel to, to seek the truth, to come and see. And I think it shows us that God invites us to do the same. That as you doubt, as you have questions, as you wrestle with things, that God isn't saying, how dare you have this question? 
I think God was saying is, come and see. Come and investigate. See what's really there. So if you have your Bibles, grab those. We'll be in John chapter 1 today. Jesus is, uh, he's hit the scene in John chapter 1. He gets baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist then makes this statement to his disciples. Disciples was like a student in those days. And he looked at Jesus and said, man, there's the Lamb of God. And a couple of John's disciples, one of them's name was Andrew. And we think John, the guy that writes this gospel narrative here, go to follow him. And then they go and tell Peter, we found the Messiah. And then they go and they go to their hometown and they meet another friend named Philip. And that's where we see this exchange. Notice this, John chapter one, starting at verse 43, and it says this. The next day, Jesus decided to go into Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So they're probably friends. They probably know each other. M- many Bible scholars are, are, are guessing. You know, it's a smaller community in Galilee. And so they, they run into Philip, and, and we see Philip. He, he's like, well, Andrew and probably John and, and Peter, you guys are following Jesus. Okay, I'm going to follow. And so notice what Philip does. We don't have really more details about Philip at, at, at first. He just, he goes and he finds Nathaniel. It says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip's like really excited. He runs and he goes and finds his buddy Nathanael. And he's like, hey, we found the one that the Bible was talking about. The Old Testament was talking about this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. And he says that Moses and the law and the prophets, and what he's talking about is he's talking about the Old Testament in our Bibles, the Hebrew Bible, this is what they would have had in those days. It's the first half of your Bible, books may be in different order, but pretty much what you have here. And they're like, you know, all of that stuff that Moses said and all the stuff the prophet said about the one that was gonna come and fix what was broken, we met him. And I'm sure Nathaniel's like, whoa, really? Where's he from? And that's when we see the doubt. You know, it's interesting, Nathaniel, another name he goes by in the Gospels is Bartholomew. So um, if you guys are reading your Gospels later, reading your Bible, the, the biographies of Jesus, and you see the list of disciples, you know, Peter, Andrew, James, John, you might not see Nathaniel on that list, but it's because he has two names. They're actually a similar root name, but um, one of them is probably the names that his friend call him, and one of them is probably his official name. Like, I'm Andrew, but I go by Drew, Sim- similar to, to that in a little bit of a way. And so, so uh, Nathaniel and Philip are having this conversation. Philip's like, man, you got to meet Jesus. We found him. He's the one that we've been waiting for. And Nathaniel's like, cool, where's he from? And, and that's when Nathaniel goes, well, he's from Nazareth. And then some of you know the story. Notice what Nathaniel says. He goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, a few years ago, my favorite team drafted a quarterback. And he went to Texas Tech. And if you know, kind of the joke was that Texas Tech quarterbacks made terrible pro quarterbacks because they ran the run and shoot and the air raid offense and they put up a ton of yards and they always were terrible pro quarterbacks. And so I remember that night when they were like, we drafted a quarterback, number 10 overall. And I'm like, sweet, where's he from? He's from Texas Tech. And I'm like, Texas Tech, can anything good come out of Texas Tech? Now, thankfully, two Super Bowls, a couple MVPs later, we're feeling okay about it. But, you know, it's the reality. He's like... Does anything good come out of Nazareth? 
Now, Nazareth wasn't that far from Bethsaida, so they knew each other. It wasn't like, oh, well, you know, I, here's a small town in Oregon. I'm not sure. They were 25 miles apart, so they, they, they knew each other. Their high school football teams played each other, right? Like, they, there was some serious fights that happened between the two groups, and Nazareth was a, was a little hill town. They were probably called them hillbillies down there. And there was really nothing glamorous about it. It was definitely not a place the Messiah would be born. Plus, these guys would have known the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. That's what the Old Testament prophets would have said. So he doubted. Nazareth, there's no way. He can't be the Messiah. He's not going to come out of Nazareth. You know, it's interesting. I think about a way a lot of us meet Jesus. And especially if you meet Jesus a little older when you're in, your, in your life. You know, did you know that 97% of people put their faith in Jesus before they're age 30? Why, why do you think that is? I don't know about you guys, but I don't know if it's age 30, but we tend to get a little more cynical the older we get. Anybody true in that in your life? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> if your spouse is the one, though, give them a, just a, an elbow. But I mean, I think there is this reality, right? That we do get a little more cynical. We get a little more jaded. We have negative experiences. When we're younger, when Jesus talks about having faith of a child, we're, we're more responsive. And so, you know, you, you see a, a lot of people who meet Jesus in their, in their older days, um, you know, as they're an adult or whatever, you, you hear the story about Jesus and you go, wow, that just sounds like a superhero story. Or that just sounds too good to be true. Really? Like God's going to come down and, and, and give his life for me and die on the cross and rise from the grave. And then I have to, if I believe in him and that's all I have to do, then I can get saved and my life changes today. And then someday I have an eternity. Like, man, that sounds too good to be true. What's the catch? And I think a lot of people have trouble believing in their older days because of that. They think that this can't be true. I bought into that infomercial way too many times. The telemarketer gave me that same story too many times. But there is something interesting when you don't close the door, when you stop being intellectually uncareful or lazy, and you say, okay, let me investigate this then. This sounds really interesting. Jesus from Nazareth? The Messiah from Nazareth? No, but notice what Philip says to him. Philip doesn't go, okay, well... Let me give you six or seven proofs that he exists, or let me hit you with apologetics, or let me just throw all these things at you and tell you that you're stupid for not believing. Philip instead literally uh, says, well, come and see. Look at verse 46. Nathaniel's like, can anything good happen? Philip's like, well, come and see. Come and meet him. Come have a conversation with him. Judge for yourself. I love how Philip does that. Uh, Barna Research is a company. Many of you have read their studies. We've quoted them before from, from stage. And Barna is always looking at Christian belief in America amongst different age groups and all these different things. And so Barna came out with a study last year, and it was looking at, at doubt. And here's a graph. It might be kind of hard to read because it's small, but here, here's a graph about doubt. And it said this. It talked about, you know, people in their faith who, who doubt um, at, at some point, and this starts at age 13 and, and goes up, and there was like 2,800 people interviewed for this. And what it found is that 50% of people go through prolonged seasons of doubt. So half, and these are Christians, half of people who say, yes, I believe in Jesus, I believe he is who he says he is, and I, I've trusted him, half of them say they've gone through prolonged periods of doubt. I would say, uh, uh, an accurate study would say 100% of them say they go through some doubt, right, at some point. Anybody? It's a safe place. We've all been through seasons of doubt. I've been through a lot of them. 
And so it's just reality. We're all kind of searching and questioning and trying to understand. And we all have built a house based on a lot of things we've heard, seen, and believed. And so we're trying to make sense of it. One of the things that we've always done, but it's kind of gained some momentum, is what's called now the deconstruction movement. Some of you might have heard of this. Some of you guys might have walked through the deconstruction movement. But here's the idea that a lot of people, and it's especially, uh, you know, people, younger generational, younger generations, people are going, huh, I'm coming across these things in college, or I'm hearing these things in the news, or I'm looking at these things in culture, and they maybe don't line up with what I was told about God growing up. And so people who are Christians are looking back going, well, let me deconstruct my faith. Let me look and see what I was told. I was told this at church, and I was told that at VBS, and this is what this person said, and this is what that happened, and they start to deconstruct. Imagine that house of cards. You're taking off pieces to get down to the root. And what often happens is, is people will look at what they've experienced in their lives, and so they say, man, I went to this church one time, and the people there were not very friendly. Or, you know what, somebody told me the Bible said this once. Or, man, my parents said this, but they lived that. And so then they end up looking and they're going, you know what? Man, my faith, this must not be real. And they, have, they tear it all the way down. They deconstruct the house of cards. The problem is they don't reconstruct. They don't go all the way down to the bottom. They end up just knocking the house of cards over when it gets low enough, when the doubt starts to spill and boil over, rather than reconstructing to try to say, what do I really believe then, okay? I, I realize that my, my, my Sunday school classes were teaching me a, a really feel-good story about Noah's Ark. That was kind of an ugly situation. So do I throw out the Bible because my Sunday school teacher tried to make my six-year-old story not so gory? Or do I go back and I study and I investigate and I dive in deeper? You know, a lot of people I've talked to, they say, you know, I can't believe the Bible because I can't believe in what Jonah's story or Noah's story. So I write it all off. Have you read those stories? Well, no. Have you read your Bible? No. But somebody told me about it. And see, I, I want to just be honest. If that's you, I don't mean to offend you, but that's intellectual laziness. Like, like, if you're going to buy a car, you just don't go on the road and go, oh, that one looks good. It's got 275,000 miles and you want 50,000 for it. Sure, right? You're going to do, hopefully, you're going to look up Kelly Blue Book. You're going to take it for a test drive. You're going to do these things. And I think that is what God is calling us to do. We see that is what Philip says to Nathaniel. Dude, come and see. Come and meet him. If you're going to tear down the house of cards, you've got to rebuild it. If you say the clouds of cards isn't going to stand, then I need to rebuild it on something stronger. And Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. N notice what Jesus says here in Matthew 7. He's talking about what, what are our foundations in life. And, and some of you are familiar with this. He says this, but everyone who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall. Why didn't it fall? Because it had been founded on the rock. But what's the alternative? And everyone, verse 26, who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Here's the reality. When, when, when you are faced with Jesus, when we're faced with this understanding of faith and God and we're wrestling with doubts, if we base everything we have heard on what somebody else says or what culture says or what, what 
trends say, and we don't go and investigate. We are just like the person who hears Jesus' words and don't do them. And we build our house on the sand. And then things are going to come. Doubts are going to come. Challenges are going to come. We're going to come across somebody who's got a really good argument that makes a lot of sense, and it's going to knock over our house. It's going to knock over our faith because we are built on the sand. That's why Jesus says, you need to hear my words. You need to know what I have to say, and let that be what you build your house on. So here's a reality for all of us. If your faith is built on something somebody said or a Sunday school story you heard or something that grandma or mom or dad or somebody told you about and you never investigated it for yourself, then you are just continuing to build your life on sand. Like we have to know what God says. We have to know what what God is telling us about life and about ourselves. If we're ever going to make sense and if we're ever going to be able to to work through the intellectual challenges and the prolonged periods of suffering and the difficult things we're going through in our life, But here is what Jesus promises us, and here is what I know many in this room know is true, that when you hear what he has to say and you end up investigating it and searching it and leaning into it, you will see that you are building yourself on something strong that can stand because your faith isn't built on something somebody said. Your faith isn't built on something that you heard or even something that you've seen. Your faith is built on the foundation of stone based on the word of God and based on the experiences of his church that have seen that he is good, that he is faithful, and that he loves us so much he sent his son Jesus here for us to give his life for us so that we could have new life and live out the call he has given us in our lives. That is a life that's built on the foundation of rock. And so that's why we need to investigate. When doubts come, that's okay. But we need to go and see. We need to open up our Bibles and and hear what Jesus says and see what God tells us is true and begin to build our lives on those things. So if you're going through a period of deconstruction now, that's okay. But don't stop. Don't stop and not rebuild. You need to rebuild on the foundation of who Jesus says he is and what he says about you and what you need to hear. And so notice back here, back at verse 47, Philip invites Nathaniel to come and to see. So, so notice what he does. He goes. He doesn't go, yeah, I might. Yeah, I might go and see. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. You know, when my schedule opens up, I'm going to go. Like he realized how important this was. Now, to, to a Jewish person, hearing that the Messiah is here, you would have dropped everything to go because you've been waiting for hundreds of years for God's promise to come true. And I think for us in our culture, we often get kind of, this kind of gets washed away because we don't see the importance of our relationship with God. We are kind of wrapped up in all that's going on and the creature comforts and just the, the chase that we're living. And so, you know, for us, somebody says, man, I've met this Jesus guy and, and man, I think this is all real. You should come and join me for church or I'm gonna invite you to this sermon series. And you're like, yeah, I, I may go. And then you kind of put it on the back burner. I want you to see Nathaniel isn't intellectually lazy here. Nathaniel goes. He's like, man, yes. Like, I want to I meet this guy. Notice what he does. He goes in verse 47. We see this really interesting interaction with Jesus and Nathaniel. Notice what happened. So Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him, and he said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And so Nathaniel, I mean, imagine you're walking up to somebody, and they're like, ah, oh, look at this guy. You know, coming my way, this Israelite with no deceit. 
Now, there's a lot of theories on is he joking, is he making fun of him, or is he, you know, just telling him something about himself. But you, you, you do see this exchange. This is really interesting. He says this to, to Nathaniel, and something sparks a hair in, in Nathaniel. What, what, what many scholars say is that Jesus looks at Nathaniel, and he understands what Nathaniel just said. He's Nathaniel's questioning, and he's doubting. And he's like, here's a man who seeks after what he wants to know is true. Is a true son of Abraham. This is a man who wants to know God. There's no deceit in him. There's no pretense. There's no falsities. This man wants to know the Messiah. He wants to know God. And so Nathaniel would have known this is true about himself, right? Nathaniel knew himself. And, and so notice what Nathaniel says to him. He meets Jesus and he says this in verse 48. He's like, well, how, how do you know me? Like Nathaniel grew up in a small town, lived in Bethsaida. He heard of Jesus. He's never met Jesus before. He looks at him. I, I don't recognize this guy. He's like, how do you know me, man? Like what you said about me actually is true. So how'd you know? You've been trolling my Facebook posts, right? Looking at my Instagram feed. Like, how do you know this is true about me? And then the, I, I love this word, word no. Look at verse 48 again. Notice the full, he says, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Look at the rest of verse 48. He said, I saw you. The, the word know here, it's the Greek word gnosko. Somebody say that, gnosko. Sounds a lot like no, doesn't it? Gnosko. So the, the word gnosko actually conveys this idea that not just like intellectual knowledge, but experiential knowledge. So Nathaniel doesn't just say, Jesus, how do you know of me? He's like, Jesus, how do you know me? Like you knew something about me that was true. Like how, how, how'd you know me? I'll meet people from time to time that you could tell that like your Facebook friends, we don't really know them. And they're like, man, how are your kids doing? I saw you guys had a great time at Worlds of Fun or wherever, right? You had a great time at Elitch's. And I'm like, you must have saw a picture. But you don't know, like they don't know you, right? It's kind of creepy when people do that, right? Like, you don't actually know me, but notice what Jesus says. He, he says, well, before Philip called you, like before Philip came to tell you about me and invited you to come and see me, before you even said that what good can come from Nazareth, that little hill town, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Now, that for us is weird. We're like, what is that? But there was something there that connected with Nathaniel. A lot of theories on this. Maybe Nathaniel was under that fig tree praying about the Messiah. Maybe Nathaniel was under that fig tree praying that God was moving, his, moving in his life. The, the, the idea, the phrase under the fig tree was often used by rabbis with their students as they studied God's word. So, But whatever it was, Nathaniel knew he was under a fig tree, maybe right before Philip came. And so this connection, there was this experience that he had with Jesus now where Jesus revealed something to him. And notice what Nathaniel says now. He goes from, I don't believe the Messiah could come from Nazareth to going, who are you? How do you know me? To immediately after Jesus says that, notice what he says. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, that was a big jump. And we don't have all the conversation, but there was something that happened here which triggered what he knew to be true about Jesus. He heard Philip say, hey, I met the Messiah Come and see. But now his faith was his own. There's this um, really, really cool kind of um, beautiful reality here that, that 
that we see in Nathaniel here. I don't know about you, but so often when we go to Jesus, we take our opinions to him, right? We take our, kind of project our opinions on him. And so we, we come to Jesus and we have this interaction with Jesus or we come to church and we have these opinions and these, these preferences or whatever you call them. And we come in and we try to project those on Jesus and we try to make Jesus fit within this little model here. So we come into a place and Jesus, you don't fit within my little model. Maybe it's political or maybe it's social or maybe it's some kind of lifestyle action. And Jesus, you don't fit in that. So either write them off or we write off the church. But notice Nathaniel doesn't come and go, okay, Jesus, hold on a second. You're supposed to be born in Bethlehem, but you're actually born in Nazareth. That doesn't make any sense. And I thought you were supposed to be a king. You're shorter than I thought you were going to be. That doesn't make any sense. And where's your horse at? Where's your army? That doesn't make any sense. And you're hanging out with Andrew and Peter. And I went to high school with those guys. And let me tell you, they did a lot of bad stuff we can't say at church. And that doesn't make any sense. But he doesn't do that. He just goes and he goes, man, how do you know me? And Jesus reveals something beautiful to him. He let Jesus speak into his life. And this is a question for us. If you are struggling with doubt or if you're just kind of living the faithful Christian life and you're trying to figure out stuff, do you let Jesus speak or are you trying to project your opinions on him? Are you trying to make Jesus, make Jesus fit within the parameters of your politics or your lifestyle or your social uh, focuses or what culture has to say? And you go, well, if culture says that, Jesus, that's archaic, man. We can't believe that. Or do we let Jesus speak into what we're bringing to him, to speak into our lives without opening our mouths first. I think a lot of cool things happen in the Bible when we don't open our mouths first, but we listen to Jesus first. And so there's this moment here where Philip was no longer telling Nathaniel about Jesus, but Nathaniel and Jesus had this interaction. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is John 4. You don't have to turn there, but there's this story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Some, some of you guys know this story, right? Jesus is going through um, the Samaria, and he goes to the, this well where there's this lady there who's really going later in the day because she doesn't want to be seen by her friends and contemporaries because she's living a pretty messy lifestyle. And so Jesus has this interaction with her, and it's just Jesus and her. And Jesus starts to talk to her about water, and it's just a really interesting conversation. And she says, you know, Jesus says, can I have some water? She's like, why are you asking me for water? And Jesus says, well, if you knew who asked you, then, then I would, I have the living water that you need. And she goes, well, give me some of this water. And Jesus goes, well, we'll call your husband here. And she goes, man, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right. You're living a, a life that you're not proud of. And that's why you're here at the middle of the day rather than in the morning with the rest of the people. And she's like, she changes the subject on him. And then Jesus, she, she goes, well, well, someday the Messiah is going to come and make everything right. And Jesus goes, you're talking to him. I am the Messiah. And they have this conversation. And she realizes that she's talking to the Messiah. So she picks up her, her jug and she runs back into town and she tells the people in the town, come and see. Notice verse 28 of John 4 it says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out to the town and they were coming to him. So now the Samaritans are coming. They've heard her say, and we don't have her name, but we know she's the woman, Samaritan woman at the well. They hear her say that he's the, that this guy could be the Christ, the Messiah. So they all come out and notice what happens. They start talking to Jesus. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. What did they do? They came and saw 
They spend time with him. They experience. They investigate him. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. I, I got saved when I was like five. My grandma, she sat me down, she opened up the wordless book, and you know, there's, there's green on the outside, and then there's black for sin, and then there's um, red for Jesus' blood. There's another page that is white. After you get put your faith in Jesus, you, you are now um, white as snow because of the blood of Jesus, and then it's uh, gold for heaven, and then the outside is green because you had this new growth in your life. And my grandma walked me through that, and she said, do you understand that? I said, yeah, I do. And she said, do you want to say yes to Jesus? And I said, I do. I want to say yes to Jesus. And I got saved. It was awesome. But there became a day when I was like 14 where I started to wonder and question all this stuff. So I had believed because of what my grandma said about Jesus. But there came this day when I was 14 and I'm like, God, I don't know. Is any of this real? This is hard to understand. This seems really strange. And then I started going and reading and diving in. And I realized that it was real because I had an interaction and exchange with Jesus. Some of you have that same story. The people of Samaria, they heard the woman say, Jesus is the Messiah, and they believed. But then they came and they met Jesus, and their faith was cemented. And I think for a lot of us in our lives, we have to ask that question, you know, like, what is our faith built on? Is our faith truly built on an encounter with Jesus? Is it built on coming and, and seeking? Your faith is personal. It's not based on somebody else's faith. You're not saved because your mom went to church. Your dad was a a part of a church or a church leader. Your sister put her faith in Jesus. You are saved because you've personally said yes to Jesus. Yes, I believe you are the son of God who lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave. and, and, And I repent of my sin, that my way is not right, that your way is. And now I Say, I'm going to trust you and follow you. I'm going to believe that you know it's best for me. And that belief saves us by God's grace. And that puts us on a path for life. And it doesn't mean we're not going to have doubts, because we are. We're, we're, going to, we're, we're always going to have doubts. We're always going to question things we've heard. And that's why we have to go back to the source. And that's why I tell you guys all the time, if I, if I don't tell you enough, don't take my word for it. Like, I, hopefully what I'm telling you is going to lead you to go and study for yourself and to seek for yourself and to read what Jesus has to say. So I, I think this is a question that we have to understand, this, this reality that, that our faith is built on a personal pursuit of truth. Like your faith can never stand if it's built on what somebody else has said or some story you heard. Now, we have the, the, the benefit now of being able to read our Bibles and have the exchange for ourselves. The, the church hundreds and hundreds of years ago didn't have that benefit. So they would sit and talk. So I'm not discrediting sitting and talking with family and friends and your pastor, but I'm saying at some level, you have to have an interaction with Jesus to see that he is exactly who he says he is and that his promises are exactly true. So I think this is the question I want you to ask yourself. Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? Because if you don't, then you're building your life on sand. You're building your faith on sand. You don't need to go get a theology degree. You don't need to go back to school, but you do need to spend some time. I would encourage you to seek to know what and why, what you believe. Why do you believe it? Because it has a huge impact on your life. 
Some, some of you might know the, the name of Lee Strobel. He's written a lot of great books like Case for Christ and Case for Easter and Case for the Resurrection. I actually had a chance to hang out with Lee Strobel a couple years ago um, at Colorado Christian University. He had, had an event and got to meet Lee, take a picture with Lee. It wasn't a very good picture of me, so I didn't put it up there. <laughs> but Lee's amazing. And, and some of you know his story. Lee was an atheist. And his wife started going to church. And his wife said yes to Jesus and trusted Jesus. And she started coming home. And so Lee was an investigative reporter in Chicago. And so Lee decided that he was going to prove that Christianity was wrong. If you guys have ever read The Case of Christ, you should read it. It's really good. He walks through this. He says, I'm going to prove that this Jesus thing is fake. So he starts to interview professors. He starts to interview historians. He starts to interview Christian leaders. And you know what he found out? that it was all true and that he wasn't building his life on a foundation of sand because of all these other things. He heard it was true, but then he went to the Bible and he went to his word and he went to prayer and he went to experience life with other believers and he realized that, man, this Jesus thing is real and he was able to determine that because he went and saw and then he built his life on a foundation of the rock and that's Jesus. It's the, the life that we're called to build our foundations on. He's the only one that we can. And here's the reality. All of us in this room, we have different doubts, different challenges. We're walking through different seasons and how we address that in this room is gonna determine what the rest of your life looks like. It's gonna determine how you deal with stress and anxiety and family challenges. It's gonna determine how you handle challenges with your health and challenges with your money and it's going to determine your relationships with other people because your relationship with God is what is most important about you. It's the most foundational thing to your soul and if you don't seek that out and find out and deal with those doubts and that God-sized hole in your heart, you're going to try to fill with all this other stuff that's not going to fill it. It's just going to leave you empty. And so I'm going to give you four little take-home thoughts here as we deal with doubt because we all walk through it at some level, and, and here they are. I think the reality is we have to acknowledge doubt. Like for some of us, we're like, no, I'm not, I don't, man, I'm not doubting. What are you talking about? I don't doubt. And then on the inside, it keeps chipping away at, at your confidence about things. It's okay to acknowledge it. I'm not, you know, we don't have to tear the whole card to house, house cards down, but just acknowledge it. Hey, man, I'm, I'm wrestling with some things. I'm struggling with some ideas. I'm just trying to, to seek and understand and know. And then I think the second thing we have to do, though, is we have to go and interact with Jesus. We, we, we go to his word. We read the commentaries and, and studies that really smart people have written about his word to help us try to understand that. We, we, we honestly, in prayer, Go to God. And you might say, I'm not even a believer right now. I don't even know if I believe this thing. That Sunday school faith I had a long time ago, I walked away from. And my, my encouragement to you would be, it might feel weird, but pray. Ask Jesus to reveal something to you. It's gonna feel weird, but actually pray and say, God, help me wrestle with this. Show me, is, are, are you real? Is this true? Now, I think we have to connect with community. The reality is we can never answer all of our questions on our own. Yeah, you can read the Bible, but unless you're spending time talking to people who've also read it and also have understanding, you might not understand it. 
chances are you're, you're not going to be able to get it all on your own. And so that's why you need people in your life, whether it's people at church in a small group, it's your pastor or a counselor or somebody you can trust, an elder, that you can, you can ask these questions to, hey, I'm kind of struggling with my faith about this. God says this. I don't understand this. Help me to wrestle with it. And I think that lands us at number four. We have to ask questions. There's a lot of questions that we have kind of simmering in our mind. Ask them. Because here's the reality. God isn't going to hide anything from you. God isn't trying to pull a cover over you and make you blind faith believe something that isn't true. Jesus says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. He is truth and he wants to reveal truth to you. So here's an invitation I have to, to you today. And here, for those of you that are pretty solid in your faith, here's the invitation I have to you to take to somebody else. It's for you to come and see or to invite someone to come and see. Nathaniel did, like Lee Strobel did, like the woman at the well did. Because when you truly come and see, then you'll be like the man or the woman who built their house on the rock. And the waves came and the winds came and the house stood strong. So forefront, that's my prayer for you. That wherever you are in your journey of faith and doubt and questioning, Come and see, because Jesus will reveal the most beautiful things to you if you let him. Would you pray with me?